welcome back dear friends to another enlightening episode of text to task simplifying education i am your host gargi and today we are delving into a topic that forms the bedrock of a student's journey to excellency as educators parents and community members we all play pivotal roles in shaping the future of our youth in this episode we are embarking on a journey to explore the profound ways in which the dynamic interplay between schools families and communities can significantly influence a student's academic success and personal growth our guest for today is dr karen map a thought leader researcher and educator whose extensive research has illuminated the transformative power of collaboration and partnership in education karen l map is a senior lecturer on education at harvard graduate school of education with a focus on fostering partnerships among families communities and educators to enhance student success and school improvement she holds advanced degrees in education and counseling and has a background in psychology dr map is a key figure in the district leaders network on family and community engagement and she is involved in organization like the national association for family school and community engagement she served as a consultant to the us department of education Dr. Map has authored and co-authored numerous articles and books including works like A New Wave of Evidence, A Match on Dry Grass, Partners in Education, Powerful Partnerships, Embracing a New Normal, and Everyone Wins. All centered on effective family and community engagement practices and their impact on student achievement. Dear Dr. Karen Map, we extend our heartfelt gratitude for your presence here today. Your remarkable expertise in research on students, school, family and community have left a lasting impression on us we are honored to have you as our guest we look forward to gaining valuable knowledge from your expertise thank you for joining us no problem it's uh, my pleasure and um uh, very excited that you asked me thank you so when parents engage in conversations with their children about school assist them in planning for college it results in improved academic performance for their children why is parental involvement important for students to succeed in school well the first thing i actually wanted to talk about is the terminology um some of your listeners who are involved and engaged in the research or even just interested in this partnership between home and school will notice that over the past i would say 10 years in particular we're trying to move away from the term involvement and move it to the term engagement and one of the things that we like about the term engagement is that it really signifies a real commitment uh when we talk about even in our own terminology about relationships when we're engaged right that that's really talking about a real commitment and a collaboration even though times and things get hard that we're still going to try to stay in it and work together whereas involvement is um you know doesn't really require as much of a commitment and many times it's a very transactional relationship between two people where you know i for example in schools i ask families to do x y or z they do it and that's it it's not an, a long term 
ongoing relationship. And so consequently, I think that we're really trying to move away from that involvement terminology and really push the field towards talking about engagement because we want that relationship to be more transformational and not transactional. We want the relationship to be more long-term, more intentional. And we want there to be a sense of collective responsibility and fellowship in that relationship. So, you know, words matter. And so again, you know, you'll notice in a lot of the more recent publications coming out of the US and I think other places as well, you'll see the terminology engagement instead of involvement. Now, in terms of why it's important, we have almost 50 years of research that shows us that when families and educators are engaged in these partnerships, it really supports student learning. Uh, we just recently wrote a book called Everyone Wins that was published in 2022. And me and the authors of that book looked at the research, particularly that was done in the last 20 years. And uh, back in 2002, Ann Henderson and I, who was a frequent collaborator with me and one of my, my we always say, uh, we are sisters from another mother, but we are sisters in this work. We uh, did a book called A New Wave of Evidence back in 2002, which was an attempt to provide a very user-friendly um, opportunity for people in the field to see what do we know at that time about the impact of engagement on student outcomes. Well, now with Everyone Wins, we're not only looking at the research that shows the benefits for our students, but we're now seeing benefits for the people who are in the students' uh, you know, ecological system, and that's the families and the teachers, and then the schools and the districts. Uh, we're now seeing the benefits of these partnerships. And when I say partnership, I do mean that they have a, a particular way of being done these aren't just any old partnerships. As I said, engagement is different than involvement. And so consequently, we, we also have been able to identify through the research, what are the high impact practices and strategies that actually make up um, an effective partnership between home and school? As you have researched, the connection between students, parents, families, and communities holds significant importance. However, Sustaining these relationships can sometimes present challenges. So my next question is, what challenges do we face in building partnerships between schools, families, and communities? Well, I think the biggest challenge that many of us have seen over the years is that educators aren't trained to do this work. Uh, whenever I ask, I just, I just did a session this morning with some superintendents from New York State, and there were about... 20, 25 of them in the room. And when I asked them how many of them had received training in their, you know, pre-service experience to become an educator, how many of them have received, you know, maybe took a course or had to take a course for their credentialing, nobody raised their hand. And so this is a problem because when we don't have educators who have learned how to do this work well, because Engaging with families and community is a skill. 
it is a skill. We've learned this from the research. There are certain strategies and criteria and mindsets that we have to have to do this work well with our families. And so I think the biggest challenge that I've seen over the years is the lack of training. Now, many organizations are trying to correct that now. Brookings Institute, you know, has written some wonderful books on some of the things that they've worked on in terms of identifying what best practice strategies looks like. And then, of course, we have organizations here, the Institute for Educational Leadership, uh, the National Association for Family, School and Community Engagement, on and on. Um, So we're getting better about providing people with not just not only hands-on sort of face-to-face training, but, you know, cultivating books. You know, we have our book, Powerful Partnerships, that's written for teachers. Uh, We have what's considered the Bible of family engagement, uh, Beyond the Bake Sale, that was written about in 2007, I believe it is. So we're trying. We're trying to correct uh, the fact that our educators have not been trained, because if they don't have the mindsets for what effective family engagement looks like, well, it's going to be very difficult for them to, you know, engage in effective practices that lead to the type of outcomes we're seeing with students and families and teachers and districts and schools. Can you walk me through how can we build strong relationships between school, families and communities effectively? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is to think back on just us as human beings. And I think sometimes when we get in the business of schooling and education, we forget what does it mean when you're trying to build an effective relationship with someone? And if you, you know, for any of you, if you think, okay, if I, there's a person who I'd like to get to know, I want to hear their story. I want us to be able to develop a good working relationship with that person. There are certain steps that we usually take. Well, somehow or another, we seem to forget about all those steps when it comes to building relationships with our families and our communities. So taking time to set up an opportunity for us to meet face to face, tell each other our stories and listen to our stories where we feel listened to, where we feel respected. Uh, where we feel that the other person isn't judging us just because our upbringing is is different than theirs. So a lot of times what I see is that in education and schools, we jump right to programming, you know, the open houses and the parent-teacher nights, but we skip over the step when we want to build relationship with people in our community. Uh, And so, you know, in my neighborhood where I live, whenever any new person moves in, uh, you know, we send them flyers, welcome. Uh, Would you, would you like to, what would you like to know? We we have this cookout that we're having in the neighborhood and we want to make sure that you come and, you know, maybe even somebody will come by and knock on the door to say, welcome to the neighborhood. We have a little booklet. This is in in the city, in in Boston and Roxbury, where I live. Um, But sometimes when when we talk about schools, uh, that little welcome mat part is left out. And uh, we don't take the time to really learn about each other. And and so, you know, this is is a piece that I think we, we cannot jump over 
uh, we cannot leave out. So I would say that the first thing we want to do is to say to ourselves, how are we intentionally building relationships with the families of the children in our schools? How are we building relationships intentionally with the people in our community? It doesn't just happen, you know, if you just say, oh, well, it'll it'll occur on its own. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, especially when you have so many children maybe attending a school. You can't just leave it up to the teachers to do on their own. The entire building, the district has to be engaged in trying to set this up to create systems and structures for these relationships to be cultivated. In the contemporary world, numerous countries are home to diverse communities coexisting together. How can schools better serve diverse communities? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that they recognize that they have diverse communities and that they have families who have different viewpoints and values and norms. And so I think, again, listening, I think that's the number one thing is being curious and listening to families, setting up opportunities to ask families, what are your hopes and dreams for your child? And, you know, what are some of the things that are important to you? What have you noticed about your child that you think that we as teachers should know about your child? A lot of times we don't take the time to investigate what my friend and colleague Debbie Pusher talks about, which is parent knowledge. And that's a great way to get to know parents and start to build a relationship. And it's especially important when you have diverse communities, because one group of families may not see things the same way as another group of families. And if you make an assumption to only go the way of one group, especially if that group is small, a lot of times I think we make the mistake of only listening to the families who have a big megaphone. And we don't say, well, wait a minute, you know, before we go in that direction, we need to check with other our other families of the kiddos at our at our school to see if this is the direction that they want to go in. You know, because there are some of us, and I have to admit, I'm one of them who's very comfortable standing up in front of a group and talking and very comfortable making my viewpoint known. So, you know, if we go to a conference, I'm the one who's always raising my hand. But then I have to think about I gotta step back and to create space for other people who may not be as comfortable speaking up and speaking out. And so a lot of times if we have populations of families who don't speak English or they maybe didn't go to graduate all the way through the K-12 system or they may not feel as comfortable with those kinds of environments. So if we wanna be equitable, and I know that word all of a sudden, people are like, oh, they don't like that word anymore. Well, I don't understand that because all equity means is that we're just making sure that everybody has what they need to survive and thrive. And so if if we need to, you know, provide language translation, we do it. You know, if we need to set up a, a meeting time that's going to be better for some families than others, we do it. Uh, we don't just try to force one way on everybody. So, you know, I think that in terms of diverse people, we should, I, I, I guess I'm a little perplexed at all of this wanting to make everything the same and not wanting to hear diverse voices because that's what makes us rich. That's what makes us more well-rounded. That's what makes us have more empathy for people who are not like us. So um, that would be, that's sort of my take on 
how do we respond to the diversity that might be in our communities? In a previous statement, you mentioned that partnerships between home, community, school can flourish only when both families and staff possess the necessary collective capacity to actively engage in the partnership. So how do community resource and support systems make a significant impact on students' educational outcomes? Could you repeat the last part of that question? I didn't quite hear it. How do community resources and support systems make a significant impact on students' educational outcomes? Well, you may know that here in this country, we have a huge movement now for what's called community schools. And these are schools who not only provide supports and resources for students, but they listen to the community and the community is really embraced and brought in. And we work at partner, at, as partners with the community to really help to not only uh, provide or uplift our students, but also to make sure that that community knowledge is leveraged by the school. And so I think that this, you know, braiding and merging of our community resources with, you know, what we say happens in the classroom on teaching and learning is spectacular. The other thing that it does is it lets our students know that there are resources in the community. There's talent in the community. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think sometimes, especially when you are working with schools who might be serving a community of students who come from under-resourced communities, there's an assumption that there's nothing good in those communities. And that's just absolute false, absolutely false. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of expertise. And so, you know, when we start really partnering with our community resources, it's just a it's just an absolutely wonderful experience, not just for the students, but also for the staff because they feel supported. For example, uh, we had some te a teacher speak to a group last week and she's a teacher at the Learning Community School in Central Falls, Massachusetts. And she talked about that because of the community partnerships, you know, she's not afraid to ask families, what do you need? Do you need supports in this area? You know, I've noticed that Cherie is, it seems a little bit more tired uh, than usual. Is there anything going on that I can be helpful with? Well, then the family member says to her, well, you know, we're experiencing some some housing displacement, or, you know, we've got some uh, troubles with being, you know, really nervous about a possible eviction. The teacher could say, well, you know what? I'm glad you told me that. And I'm going to have so-and-so call you because we have a partnership with some housing resources. And so we will make that link with you to provide you with some support. Now, if that wasn't there, the teacher might not ask that question because then what would they do with an answer? You know, they don't, they're, it shouldn't be put upon them to hunt down the housing resources or the mental health resources that a family might say they need. So when you have these community partnerships, then those educators know, okay, I know that there's going to be someone there I can contact to help support these families. So it makes them feel like they're not alone in trying to do this work. 
you have engaged in collaboration with numerous schools across the US. Can you share some successful initiatives and programs that have improved school, family and community partnerships? Well, the one that comes to mind is um, one of my fabulous doctoral students. Her name is Dr. Shade Harris. She works in the Richmond, Virginia Public Schools. She um, is the chief of engagement for the Richmond Public Schools. So she sits on the cabinet. She reports directly to the superintendent, which is very important because she's at the seat where a lot of decisions get discussed and, you know, quite frankly, made. And so what she did was she took very seriously this whole idea about engagement versus involvement. And one of the challenges that the school system was facing, particularly after COVID, was attendance. And so she said, instead of seeing family engagement, community engagement as some separate thing, I want my colleagues to understand that the engagement is actually a strategy to improve attendance, a strategy to improve literacy, a strategy to improve our graduation rates. And so right now she's focused on the attendance. And what she's found is that now that they have engagement strategies, working with community resources, uh, seeing attendance as an engagement challenge, not as, oh, you know, your kid's not coming to school. It's what can we do? What kind of barriers exist um, that are keeping your kid from coming to school? And how can we be helpful? What they're seeing is that their chronic absenteeism rate at some schools has gone from 45% to 20% uh, in a year because of using the engagement as a strategy to try to improve this particular goal of the district. So it's a, it's a wonderful, you know, they've, they've got community liaisons and the principals, the school leaders are more inclined to lean in now because they see the results. You know, a lot of times we ask people, oh, engage your families, but we don't say why. What are, What's the return on investment? And so when we make sure that, you know, my, my colleague and mentor actually, Joyce Epstein, Dr. Joyce Epstein talks about, it should be goal-oriented engagement. We don't just do random acts of family engagement. Kate Grove Cressley coined that term. It should be connected to our goals. And so uh, that's, an, a, I think, a great example in Richmond, Virginia, of how they took engagement, made it a strategy to improve attendance, and they've seen some tremendous and very significant results. It has been an honor to have you on this journey, Dr. Karen Mapp. Your wisdom and profound insights have brought an unparalleled richness to our discussion today. Thank you very much for your contribution. I eagerly anticipate engaging in future conversations with you. Thank you so much, Dr. Karen Ma. Thank you. I appreciate the time being with you and enjoyed the conversation. <laughs>